Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Narratives of Grace podcast, The Pastor's Corner. I'm your host, Pastor Caleb Barrett. Today's episode, Pastor Dennis and I continue and complete our discussion on the attributes of God. If you haven't heard the first part of this episode, uh, I invite you to listen to that part first. There's some building off of some of the things that we talked about, um, but otherwise, uh, please join us and let's take a listen. So welcome back to this discussion on the attributes of God. Um, we talked through several last week, but this week we're going to start with spirituality and truthfulness. And I'm actually going to talk about those at least briefly together because in scripture that we see them together, uh, at least some of the time, but just as a, a thought to each one, before I look at the two together, spirituality typically just means that God is spirit. Um, that he doesn't have a physical body. And we see this with the significance of Christ being incarnate, meaning being born to a body. Um, but then we go to truthfulness, and it means exactly as we would expect, that he can't lie. Uh, and I think that's an extremely significant idea, that God cannot lie. Right. Well, and that goes along with his holiness and recognizing that uh, because of his holiness, he um, there is no sin in him. Uh, there's no uh, there's no hint of sin in him, and so in his spirit form, as he uh, works through and, and accomplishes his will, we talked about his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his omniscience. Uh, as he moves through and uh, accomplishes his will, he does though so in truthfulness. He does not lie. He does not sin. He does not steal. He does not kill um, sinfully, uh, and so it's important for us to understand that God does nothing sinfully. Uh, everything that God does, he does in complete purity. Um, there's never a moment where we can look at him and begin to charge him with having done something wrong. Uh, I think I think that's something that a lot of people try to do. I think they, they look through the Old Testament. And, and for those that don't understand the correlation between the Old Testament and the New Testament— I think there's a lot of people that look at like, well, the angry God of the Old Testament, man, he killed a lot of people. And it's like, so, you know, as if he's on trial. And But we have to understand because of his truthfulness, uh, because of who he is and how he operates, he does all things in purity and he does all things uh, in truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I say those two are intimately connected, it is specifically with uh, worship and the way that we're supposed to worship. But uh, John four twenty four says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And uh, that's partially why we are supposed to worship God without a physical object because he is spirit. And to use a physical object to represent him shows him inaccurately. Um, that's why we don't have images of him in art either, or we shouldn't. Um, that's what the whole second commandment is about no graven images why because he's not physical there's no way to portray him um but that when we worship we're to worship him in spirit because he's spirit and in truth because he is purely truth we should represent him well and what he's told us to do and how to worship him right and and just getting not to get too far off track but i think a lot of people misunderstand what no graven images means 
technically any any picture of him is to some extent a graven image. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we paint a picture of God, what we don't realize is that is a graven image. And it's like, well, how though? Uh, and the truth is we cannot fully capture him. And so any picture that we post, any uh, image that we come up with is going to be less than uh, who he really is. It's not going to be an accurate representation, and it can't be. Uh, and because of that, um, I think there are those that would say, yeah, but I mean, we're giving it our best shot. And so I think God should be happy with that. The other side of that is, but God demands absolute perfection. And mm-hmm. so uh, do not use my name in vain is what he says. Why? Because his name is holy and it is powerful. And to use it for less than what it is, uh, is disrespectful. And to show an image of him that's less than what he is, is disrespectful and uh, it's not reverent. And so, you know, am I going to police people and run around on people's Facebooks? No. Uh, Am I guilty of posting images of things? Yes. Um, But we do need to be cognizant of why he says no graven images. But in his truthfulness, he expects that A, he operates in truth, and we as his followers who are striving to be like his son, who, by the way, is God, then we must continue moving forward. And in talking about moving forward, of course, that leads us to uh, consider God's wisdom in the way that God conducts himself. Um, I want to read a quote. Uh, It says, God always knows and chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. Wisdom is a moral as well as an intellectual quality. Uh, And I think that sums it up really well. I mean, we can expound upon that. But the truth is God, in his wisdom, is always working out the best means, the best outcome um, to... uh, to accomplish his goals, to accomplish his will. And and that, I think, the struggle that we have is just understanding those means, understanding how it could possibly be the best. Uh, when we see things that happen, um, loved ones get sick, um, the, the loss of jobs, uh, the loss of abilities, the loss of life. Uh, when we see these things, it's easy for us to question, how could this be the best means to accomplish his will in this world? Um, right now, COVID, you know, how, how could a global pandemic um, be part of his will? And what we have to understand is his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And as I said in the, the first part to this podcast, God will allow the things that he hates to accomplish the things that he loves And we may not understand this side of heaven, what he's working to accomplish, but in his wisdom, we have to trust that he is good and his plans are good. Yeah. And, and I I think it's important to see that, that wisdom is, is the action. It's the acting out. It's the ability to know how to go about it. Um, I mean, this, this is kind of an oversimplification and it's not really wisdom per se, but there's a difference between I know how a motor works, but my dad knows how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a difference in application. It's almost like knowledge applied. Right. Well, and that's what everybody says. Um, you know, it, it's the, the analogy of, you know, you know, the stove is hot, um, but understanding why you don't touch it. Uh, one is knowledge. The other's wisdom, you know, and, 
Um, I think somebody once said knowledge with purpose is wisdom. Uh, That's that's an interesting way. Yeah, I I don't know that I would hold too tightly to that um, because there's a lot of people that, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes that you can't see, but but quote unquote knowledge, um, just because somebody says something confidently uh, doesn't necessarily mean that that they know what they're talking about. Well, and just to take a detour on wisdom, because this is one of the communicable attributes, meaning that that we can share in this attribute with God. Well, look at Proverbs. Yeah. Well, and that's actually kind of where I'm going. Uh, probably not quite that positively, but I think it's important to realize just because you have wisdom doesn't mean that you're not going to make mistakes. Who is the wisest person in the Bible, uh, aside from God, obviously, is Solomon. And also the f- most foolish man in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Well, so there's still a level of I need to choose to make the right decision. Um, there is a level of choice in all these things that that I can know that going left is the right thing to do. I always use left and right as the my descriptors, but but just is because left always bad. <laughs> <laughs> but because I know that uh, left is is the better way, that doesn't mean I'm not going to enjoy going right and therefore choose to go right. And I I think that's an important thing is. When we have wisdom, we need to actually listen to it. Right. And I, I like that you use the language of choice there, because I think a lot of people, when when we talk about the foreknowledge of God and the sovereignty of God and the omniscience and the omnipotence and, and the wisdom of God, and we talk about how God works independent of other things, that he... Um, sovereignly works based on his own choosing, on his own will. I think sometimes it's easy to get lost in that, that we uh, begin to have this concept that we have no free will, and that's not biblical, Mm -hmm. um, that Mm -hmm. we do have the freedom to choose. We do have the ability to choose. Now, to what degree and at what time? Those are very important distinctions. Um, but I, I just I feel like it's important for us to make clear. We do have the ability to choose. As believers of God, we have the ability to choose the things of God. Uh, when we trust in Him, when we follow Him, we are called to make wise choices. Uh, will is our will is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't explain that away, but the truth is it's not about our decision. It's about what God has done. And everything from that point on is us uh, living our lives out of the, the understanding and, and, and because of the understanding, because of his choice, because of his calling, because of his stooping down and saving us. Now we live the rest of our life with the freedom to choose the things of God. And that, I think, shows us the goodness of God and that he allows us to have these choices. He allows us to live our lives. He allows us to continue following him. And so that I think that shows the goodness of God in that he doesn't just um, snap his fingers and we're gone the second we sin. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things with the goodness of God that we need to see too is that he's so good, it looks strange to us because we can't understand goodness at that level mm-hmm. uh, and and that that's a weird way to put it but we see different actions of god and scripture with punishing like uh, i think the best one would probably be uzzah when the, the the ark is falling and he puts his hand up to catch it well he's not doing anything wrong i mean he's catching the ark that's a good thing he doesn't want it to fall in the mud no 
God is being perfectly good in that because he told them this is the way to do it. I heard somebody, and this is a, one of those, you know, there's hard sayings. Um, it, it was probably Sproul that said this. Um, but when his hand reached out to touch the ark, that uh, what he was doing was reaching out. And, and of course, there's, there's a, a level of he was trying to help. Yeah. You know, like he was try- he was trying to be a good dude right he's like oh no it's falling and he reaches out but theologically what was going on there he assumed that his hand was more clean than the dirt that that was about to go into and uh that's a tough thing to hear because that sounds awfully harsh like dude he was just trying to help it's like yeah but nothing unclean is to touch that ark and his hands were unclean and uh, that's what led to that. And you look at that and it's like, man, how is that good? Uh, we have to recalibrate our understanding of good. We have to un- recalibrate our understanding of fair. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of words that we use. And I say this all the time, but words have meaning. Words are important. Uh, there's a reason why we use specific words and not other ones. And without going too far into a rabbit hole on word choice, uh, when we say God is good, we have to understand it's his definition of good, not ours, um, because I don't like pain. Uh, somebody once said, I don't like pain, it hurts me. Uh, I don't see pain as good. Can pain accomplish a good purpose? Yeah, pain, there is there's a certain level of pain that accomplishes something good. Um, you know, if you have a tumor inside of your body, there's going to be pain in the removal of that tumor. Is that pain good for you? It's accomplishing a good purpose. Is mm-hmm. the pain itself good? Am I glad that there's an incision? You know, I used to have a, I had to have a surgery on my leg. W- was I happy about my leg being cut into? No. Was I happy about the removal of what was not supposed to be inside my leg? Yes, I was happy for the good goal that was accomplished through the pain. And so I think we just have to recalibrate our idea on certain certain words. Well, and when we when we look at goodness and righteousness, now goodness and righteousness are are different, they're slightly different, but when we think <clears throat> but when we think in scripture, you know, it says that none are righteous, no not one. It's the same thing. We could just replace that with goodness. Again, goodness and righteousness are a little bit different. But in that place, none are good. God is the only good one, and we only get goodness from him. We get good things, but they're from him. When we look at the true soul and depth of man, no one is not good. There's not. And and so it's that same idea that Uzzah wasn't good. He wasn't righteous. Uh, and therefore, something that we see as bad happened, but it was something that was righteous. And and we do see that, and I think heavily we struggle with, I think, the most difficult one of the attributes for us to reconcile with is the the attribute of justice. Um, some might call it wrath, but I think the better way to look at it is justice. God isn't wrathful. He's just. Um, I think we need to be careful when we ask for justness from God because we're going to be found guilty every single time. Uzzah was guilty. Not only was his hand not clean, but he wasn't supposed to touch it. He knew he wasn't supposed to touch the ark. He would have been one of the people that would have known better than anyone else 
What's the one thing you don't do? Touch the ark. Nobody touched the ark. You put a pole through a hole and you lift it up. You touch the pole. You don't touch the ark. And then what's he do? Touch the ark. Right. Yeah. And and that's a, like I said, that's a difficult thing to, to comprehend. Um, but the truth is, just what you said, there are none good. Um, you know, maybe this is a topic for another podcast, but, you know, the idea of then why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, and then that famous quote that only happened once and Jesus did it willingly. Um, that's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. R.C. Sproul Jr. Uh, said that. And, you know, I, I think it's important to recognize that God's justice is another one of those things that we really need to calibrate our understanding or recalibrate uh, and make sure that it lines up with Scripture. Because uh, I think it was MacArthur that said, justice is a word that does not require an adjective. That when we place an adjective on it, we're focusing more heavily Mm -hmm. on one aspect of whatever word that is than any other aspect. And so um, for us to put adjectives on justice, uh, I think it, to some extent, and and I think we can have a healthy debate about this, but I feel like it weakens the overall understanding of what justice truly is. Uh, Now, are there certain aspects that matter to us more at certain points? Yes. And, And it's important to distinct or to, I guess, um, help people to understand just because we're focusing on one aspect of justice now, it doesn't mean that all the other aspects aren't there, uh, but we do need to be careful about recognizing what God's justice is. And I'll, I'll read another quote um, re- regarding his justice or his wrath. God intensely hates and responds with anger to all sin and rebellion. God hates every threat to what he loves. God hates every threat to what he loves. Um, God is good. Anything that is not good is not part of God. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for what fellowship does darkness have with light? God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Uh, So when darkness begins creeping up, God hates that, and he will eradicate darkness. Um, And we've seen it happen in Scripture, uh, we look around at our world and we realize there is a lot of darkness. There's coming a, a time, there's coming a moment um, that is set in time and known only to him, but there is coming a time when his wrath will be poured out and all darkness will be cleansed and removed and there will be nothing but light left. And we long for that day as Christians because we know that is the day that his ultimate will is fulfilled. But the process of seeing justice take place, you know, we cry out for justice. We want true justice. Um, All of us are sinners. Do we really want full justice? Mm -hmm. Because true justice, fair, we should have been killed the moment we sinned. Um, The moment we sinned the very first time, we should have been struck down. Uh, If fair's fair, we committed, uh, as one theologian says, all sin is cosmic treason. Uh, if if, like if we've we've committed treason, what do we do if there's an American citizen that commits treason? Um, firing squad, right? <laughs> That's in history. You know, we see Benedict Arnold, the first known or the first or the first famous or infamous traitor. 
Um, like he committed treason, get him, you know, why? Because treason is wrong. And we know that we understand that unless it's us, if it's us, well, we have justification. You don't understand the process. You don't understand why I'm doing this. Well, with God, his justice is perfect and he perfectly hates all sin, but does he always extend his justice to the point that we feel the full weight of his wrath? No. And why is that? Because of God's grace. And that's mm-hmm. the next the next attribute, because God extends grace. Uh, so what is grace? God's grace, I would... Being graceful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of put you on the spot there. Yeah. I mean, you could I use the acronym... You could use the acronym, you know, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense, uh, you know, G-R-A-C-E. Uh, and that's that's true. Is it is it more than that? Yes. Is it less than that? Probably not. Um, but uh, what does it mean to receive God's riches at Christ's expense? Well, grace is simply God giving you something that you did not earn. And it's a positive thing. Um, God is positively in a, in a, in a good way, giving you something that you did not earn. Uh, when a child disobeys his parents and his parent, his father sits him on the bed and says, you know, it's well within my right as your father to discipline you now. And now we can get into a debate about what kind of discipline, but you can, you know, you lied to your mother. Now this is an opportunity for you to understand the justice of God. You're going to be disciplined. However, this is also an opportunity for you to learn the grace of God. And so although, uh, although you did not earn a reward, although you did not earn my favor by disobeying, we're still going to go out. We're still going to get ice cream tonight. <laughs> it's like, what? how did that happen? Well, now you see his mercy and grace both displayed through that father in that his mercy is that he earned discipline and the father withheld the discipline that he earned. So God negatively withholding something that we earned, the punishment that we've earned in hell, uh, God withholds that. That is mercy. God withholding something negative that you have earned. Um, But his grace is God giving you something positive that you did not earn. And so when we talk about God being a gracious God, God is a giving God. Uh, He has given us so much. And those of us that live in the United States, just by nature of where we're allowed to live is an extension of his grace. It's a measure of his grace that we live in a country where where we are free to gather, Uh, although right now in groups with masks on, (laughs) but we have the ability, we have the freedom to do many things that we complain about, but most people in the world don't have the freedoms that we enjoy. And we should recognize that just by nature of living where we live, that is an extension of God's grace. Well, and we didn't really talk about God's mercy in the Mililani minutes, but I think his mercy and his grace are intimately connected because they are in that same thing. Whereas mercy's foregoing the wrath we deserve, but grace is still gifting us the riches that we don't deserve. Well, and you see his mercy and his grace in Romans and in the same verse, for the wages of sin is death. So you've earned death, but the gift of God is 
uh, is eternal life. And so you see the mercy is that we've earned death and we don't receive it, but we haven't earned eternal life, but because of God's grace, because of his love for us, he gives us grace. And so you see his mercy is withholding the death that we've earned and his grace is giving us eternal life that we did not earn. So I missed that cue before because I was looking up the lyrics to Amazing Grace (laughs) because as much as it's almost overdone at this point, so churches avoid doing it except at funerals, I think that Amazing Grace is the best uh, non-inspired description of grace. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's the first verse. I'm just going to read the first verse, but... Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And and it, it goes on from there. And if you've never read the full lyrics, look up the full lyrics. And I'm not talking about one of the, the arrangement lyrics yeah. where, you know, there's only four verses. Read the whole thing that John Newton wrote. Um, and I think it's important to realize the story of John Newton in the significance of the... the um, amazing grace. And I won't go into the whole thing, but John Newton was a slave trader. Mm -hmm. Like for all of everything going on right now, the writer of the probably most recognized him of all time, one that whether you're a believer or not, you probably know that first verse. Uh, He was a slave trader. And then he came to faith and was like, Whoa, hold on. This isn't right. So for even though that there were people misusing scripture in that time, he, the moment he came to true faith, faith and took a real look at scripture, he recognized how ungodly that practice was and is when it, where it still exists. And, uh, he wrote that now, not at that very moment. It was a little bit later, but it, it, it was a very significant thing. And, um, I think remembering him, old hymns like that is, is very important. And it's, you know, by, by grace, uh, my heart learned to fear and I, I'm misquoting it, but that's the, the typically the second verse it's mm-hmm. we, we see the fear of God and, and it's through his grace that we, we see these things. I was um, blind, but now I see it, it's giving that gift. Right. Well, and that, I just, I love that song and uh, every part of it is amazing. My favorite is uh, toward the end of what's typically sung. Uh, it's normally the last verse that's sung. Um, but it's when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing his grace than when we've first begun. And uh, that's my favorite verse of the whole song. And just that hope of knowing there's coming a day when we will be there in his presence for all of eternity, singing his praises, uh, singing of his grace. Every day that we spend in eternity ought to be spent thanking him and giving glory to him for the grace that he has shown to us. Because if we truly understand what sin is, it should create in us a healthy hatred for the things that we've done. Uh, I'm not saying we need to hold on to guilt because God has removed that from us uh, by declaring us righteous and removing the stain of our sins from us. There is no guilt. Um, Paul says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ, an extension of his grace. Uh, And so there's no condemnation for us. So we shouldn't feel the guilt, but I should feel the weight in knowing Mm -hmm. this sin is bad. Um, Understatement of 
eternity, right? And so um, sin is bad. Sin is terrible. Sin is uh, is taking glory away from God uh, and ascribing it to other things. And in doing so, recognizing what we've done shows us not only his grace, but it also helps us to kind of see his love Mm-hmm. even more. And I think that's the last one that we're going to talk about uh, is his love and just knowing that we'll be there for all of eternity. And and I just love the the phrase, you know, we, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his grace than when we first began, uh, begun. And so uh, to know that we... Now, theologically, there's, there's I, don't, I don't believe that there will be time there, and so that's a different, you know, it's not like we're going to be scratching onto the wall how many days we've been there. It's um, one of those things, like you, you've said in a, a couple podcasts, and you say occasionally, but thinking about that, praising God and time not existing, it's like, that breaks your brain a little bit. It does. For me, eternity future is, it's still something I can't fathom, but it's... <laughs> easier for it it breaks my brain less than eternity past that's fair um but eternity future knowing if we were to mark it by days we could be there for 10,000 days uh we could be there for 10,000 years i think this is what it yeah, actually says 10,000 years uh we could be there for 10,000 millennia um and we haven't lost any time with him we're not there's no countdown to something. There's no end date. There's no expiration of us singing his praise. And that that's just, as you're listening to this, I hope that that encourages you um, because it it encourages me to know that there's coming a day when all things will be made right and we'll be able to just sing his praises and not have to worry about the, the, the trials and tribulations of this world. Amen. But again, knowing that that's coming, uh, helps us to understand that that is his love. Uh, his love is what makes that possible for us. Yeah. And thinking to the last of the attributes, I think love is one of the most difficult to define uh, because it is so many things. Um, but the the one that we see most often in regard to God's love is agape, mm-hmm. which which gives the sense, and that, that's a Greek word for love. I didn't specify that it was Greek. Um, but that gives the sense of community. It's the sense of, of we love because we are together and we love together. And, um, I did the minute on that attribute and it's the idea that I should always want what's best for my brother or sister or whatever in faith. Um, no matter what, even if it's at my, um, to my detriment, and I don't mean detriment in necessarily a negative way, but if I'm up for the same promotion as somebody else, I should be happy that they got it, even if it means I don't. Um, and, and I think that is part of what it is. And we see this all over the place. Anytime it talks about love, is the idea of abiding with God, being in that commune commune with God. Yeah, well, it's, it's self-sacrificing. Um, true... True godly love is a love that gives of yourself. God um, freely gives of himself. Um, and 
just another quote here. God freely and eternally gives of himself. The unique historical demonstration of God's love is seen in the cross of Christ. Now, there's um, kind of a mashup of of Bible verses, uh, but I want to read that. Uh, regarding his love, um, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Romans 5.8 says that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love by dying for us. And so, um, and that was a paraphrase, but Romans, I think it's 5.8, says that, that uh, while we were still his enemies, he demonstrated his love uh, by dying for us. And, um, you know, you you mentioned the agape love, uh, the highest form of love, the self-sacrificing love. Uh, There's different words for love in the Greek language. In English, We've got one word. You know, I love my wife, and I love ice cream. Um, that's what I used to te- teach kids. Clearly, I love Rachel infinitely more than I love ice cream, as much as I love ice cream. And those who know me, if I say I love Rachel more than I love ice cream, you know I love Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we have to understand with God, it is a perfect love. It is a perfect, self-sacrificing, giving type of love. And it's just, it's so important to realize this, realize that that God is love. God is that communion. And that's part of what it is to be the church, is to be that body together. And we see it, not only are we told to be in communion or be in community uh, because of love and through love, but we're also told that we're the body. We are one thing. We are together in that intimate of a way. We think of two different church members. Well, they're, they're obviously different, but then we describe the body of Christ, the hand and foot. My hand and foot are intimately connected because they're all part of one body. Uh, that should be how we are, and it's through that love, through that godly love. Right, and, and that thing is, can the hand and the foot work independently of one another to an extent? Uh, the hand can only go so far without the foot following it, right? And um, otherwise that becomes quite awkward. And so uh, even in the body, can uh, different believers come together and fulfill different aspects of the body of Christ? Absolutely. Can they do it independently of one another for an extended period of time? Not well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why it's so important for us to be able to get back together. Uh, The reopening of churches under COVID has been crucial for us as a church because just being physically present with one another. um, I I don't know about you, but for me, uh, we've had three Sundays that we've been back together. Uh, Just that first Sunday, um, there's just something different, just being around other believers, uh, there's just, it's hard to explain. It's hard to describe. I'm not skilled enough to be able to articulate it well outside of just saying it was just a good experience to be among God's people. Mm -hmm. And every Sunday morning is a blessing. And I realize that more now having gone 
couple months without being in the presence of God's people well, outside of the praise team. They're God's people too. But, <laughs> um, but in serious, in all seriousness, uh, knowing that you're preaching to an empty room and the body isn't with you pre- physically they're spiritually, we're all together. We're watching online and all that, but being physically present with someone is different than watching them on a screen or knowing that they're watching you on a screen. Um, but, uh, again, just the, the opportunity that we have to share with one another, uh, it gives us the, uh, the opportunity to love one another and display God's love for one another. And I think for us, we need to remember there's a purpose to God's love. He doesn't give of himself for no reason. There's a reason for it. Uh, he loves um, in, in such a way that others should come to know him. Um, scripture teaches that the kindness of God is meant to bring us to repentance. And I think that you can say without damaging scripture, the love of God ought to bring us to repentance. Um, his love should help us to realize we've done something wrong. He gave of himself to correct this. We ought to follow him. We Mm -hmm. ought to be obedient to him. Amen. And, uh, as we come to the end of our time today, we, I think we've both enjoyed talking about all of these different attributes and I think it's significant to end on the love of God because it is uh, one of the purest of the attributes that we can share with God. Um, but to, to end this time, I'm just going to read first Corinthians 13. And I think this is probably one of the most familiar passages to people because it's one that you'll hear at weddings, whether it's a Christian wedding or not. And it is a passage that should be applied to the marital relationship, but that's not what this is talking about. It's talking about love within the, the believer's body at large. It's, um, all of us together. Right. Is it now? Okay. So I'll end by reading the whole first Corinthians 13. This is, in my opinion, the definition of love more broadly. And I'll read the whole thing, even though the, the main part that we are look at starts in verse four, starting in verse one. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Pastor's Corner. I pray that it was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about any of the attributes of God that we discussed this week or last week or have any other questions on any of our other uh, lessons or content that we've put out, please email us at pastormbaptist.org. If you have any questions or suggestions of things you would like us to discuss in the future, you can just send that all there. If you have any prayer requests, please email us at prayer at mbaptist.org. We want to be praying with each and every one of you for everything big and small, whether you're a member of our church or just somebody that uh, tunes in and listens with us. Uh, we want to be praying, so you can email us there. For more information on Mililani Baptist Church, uh, please head over to our website at mbaptist.org, or you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, I hope that you'll join us next time in the next episode of The Pastor's Corner. uh, Pastor Dennis and I will be discussing the book of Jude and its significance for us today. Thank you and join us again next time.